Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well, and if you're new here, every Saturday we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. Yes, coffee. That being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about the crypto market sell-off we've been seeing, the Cardano-Gogan launch timeline we just got, Polygon, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment, and more. So make sure you stick around for all the updates in today's episode. But as always, let's kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who support Crypto Over Coffee. And of course, if you want one of your questions answered, leave them in the comments down below. Tweet me at Hoshoshi4, or you can leave them in the Hoshoshi Discord, which is linked in the description. I totally just messed up my own name. Now, if you would be so inclined as well, please do subscribe to the channel and hit the bell notification button or follow the podcast on your platform of choice if you're more the listening type so you can get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of Crypto Over Coffee. And if you're watching on YouTube, please make sure you're watching the comments because there are people posing as me constantly. It's pretty clear that it isn't me in the comments because they're gibberish asking to contact on WhatsApp. I'm not going to ask you to contact me, so don't worry about that. If the comment doesn't have a name highlighted like you see on the screen, it isn't me. You can report them and ignore those comments. I'm working on a scalable solution to get rid of them. So be safe out there, folks. Let's dive into these questions. Now, the first question of the day is from Prabath Garouge. I heard BTC and alts may drop further 50% similar to September 2020's price. So this is basically a question about whether or not we're going to get more and more and more sell-off down to price points that we saw in fall of last year, so September 2020. Here's my general answer. It is abundantly possible that we get back to those levels before we make our way back up in the future. I still believe that we're going to continue to go up in the macro level, whether that's going to be in a couple of months or if it's going to be years before we see movement again in the positive direction. Neither myself nor anyone else in this world can tell you definitively whether or not that's going to happen, right? So just take that with a grain of salt. Even technical analysis on charts is subject to mistakes. It's subject to bias. It's subject to all sorts of things. So is it possible that this happens? You get another 50% sell-off? Yeah, it is definitely possible. We could go back down to sub 20K Bitcoin. However, I think the more likely scenario is that we trade sideways. We're going to have these sort of uh, new bottoms, right? We're going to have this new base level valuation of a lot of cryptocurrencies in the market. Going to keep building, keep maturing, keep realizing that this is kind of how the internet worked is there was a huge explosion multiple times, eventually consolidated into a handful of really valuable services and companies and protocols. It's probably what's going to happen here. So make sure you have a plan, have a strategy, make sure you're taking profits, managing risk, and you'll be okay. Thanks for your question. Second question of the day is from Leo F. Why aren't major cities in the U.S. using their normally wasted energy to mine Bitcoin? Some huge percentage of U.S. energy is lost after generation. Wouldn't it make sense to make investments into mining? So on and so forth. Yeah, I agree with you, Leo. I think that a lot of places in the world have a ton of energy waste. There are a couple of big problems in our energy systems around the world. The first one is that generally our conversion rate from product to energy is iffy, right? It's sometimes very good, sometimes very bad. You know, when we burn coal, do we get enough energy out of it? It really varies. The second thing is we don't have very good energy storage. We lose a lot of energy that we generate because we either can't get it to consumers on time 
We can't store it for long enough to get it to consumers. And that's what you see even in China in a lot of cases. A lot of energy that's used is stored energy that's going to be lost anyway. So if you really ask me, this would be a great investment. Here's the problem. Most of the time, these, first of all, governments are not going to do this, right? Governments are not going to appropriate energy, especially in places like the United States, at least in my opinion, to mine Bitcoin. It's just not in their, not in their field house. However, there are plenty of companies now that have started to buy old plants like power plants and start to use those facilities to mine Bitcoin. That's happening. There's concern about regulation saying, hey, you can't do that. There's concern about profitability if you can't get energy cheaply enough to actually compete in the grand scale. But you're already seeing China making moves here in this space. And we talked about it last week to sort of dissuade people in China from mining using coal, which is a really good thing. I think Bitcoin can be mined largely with renewable energy. Miners are incentivized to use renewable energy because it is generally cheaper. And I think that if we can use the energy that would otherwise be wasted, that's a good first step towards saying, hey, we're doing, you know, we're not harming the environment as much. Of course, there's work that needs to be done here in regards to, you know, moving towards renewables, but that's even something that's important outside of Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin is used as sort of a, a patsy for the real issue here. So Leo, to answer your question, they should. Will they? The government? Probably not. Consumers and businesses probably will. Sip of coffee time. Delicious. Awesome. Okay. Third question of the day from Alexander Kuo. Hopefully I pronounced your name right. Vitalik Buterin said in previous interviews that he believes in the future the crypto market, quote unquote, will be much smaller, meaning that only a handful of layer one protocols, so mainnet blockchains essentially, will exist and be useful instead of the current state where there are thousands of cryptos competing. A hundred percent. This is correct. Uh, Vitalik is generally not wrong on these macro level predictions as well. He's very good in terms of the, the visionary side of things. I do believe that just like the internet, where we had stock after stock, company after company that said they've solved the next big thing, they've done the next big thing in the internet. That that was the time where all the scrutiny was. It's like everything here cannot be that valuable. There was the big bubble, then there was the burst, and out of that were a few phoenixes, phoenixes, excuse me, that rose from the ashes, right? That became valuable companies long term, and then after that, with those foundational companies that came out of that dot com bubble more services were created. And we have this whole ecosystem now of technology companies that came from the inventions and the companies that originally came out of that, that bubble. And I think the same thing is going to happen here. The protocol wars, as I've started to call them, are going to really culminate in a handful of protocols that do niche things very well, that are specialized for a certain community, certain use case, certain country per se, that are going to be linked together into one internet of blockchains, if you will, by protocols like Polkadot and Cosmos and Icon, etc. That is the future. There will not be room for thousands of different cryptocurrencies and blockchain projects and protocols. There's going to be a subset of oracles, a subset of layer one smart contract enabled platforms, a subset of interoperability protocols, and those are going to be the bread and butter on which Web3 services of the future are built on top. That's how I think things are going to play out. So I think Vitalik is 100% correct in that statement, simply because not every cryptocurrency that's out there, tens of thousands of them can survive. That's just not generally how technology works. 
you settle on certain protocols and platforms and companies, and those are carried forward to build new things. So thank you so much for your questions, folks. Let's dive into the news section. We've actually got quite a lot of stuff to talk about, uh, so let's dive in. Now, in honor of crypto over coffee tradition, let's kick things off with a Bitcoin price update, which is also turned of late into a crypto market update. So let's just call it that. This is the crypto market update. First of all, Bitcoin had an okay week, to be honest, when comparing it to the week prior. We had lots of sideways trading and some volatility, but nothing of note really until the end of the week, which seems to be a theme now. The weekends suck. <laughs> We've been seeing a heavy sell-off uh, down to the mid 30Ks, maybe even the low 30Ks for Bitcoin at the end of the week. So not a fun thing to be witnessing, to be honest, but it's par for the course during times like these. Some say that this sell-off at the end of the week was triggered by Bank of Japan heads criticism of Bitcoin or the proposed treasury reporting requirements in US President Joe Biden's budget plan for 2022. More on that later. But whatever it is, to me, it all boils down to one thing, fear. People right now are afraid. Even those that have been in the space for a while, they're starting to get anxious about the lack of strength we're seeing in the markets, and I get it. I really do. When bad news comes out, people are now trying to front-run the panic and sell at higher lows. They're just taking losses. Flashbacks to 2018, where everyone said the bull market isn't over, and it really was. It's probably flooding people's minds right now. And I still think, personally, that we have at least one more big run before the end of 2021. But that's far from guaranteed, and it could indeed be months or even years before we see price action that we've been waiting for here in the bullish direction. Now, if you're a long-term hodler of crypto, as we say colloquially, this probably hurts but doesn't strike fear into your heart the same way that it would someone who dove into crypto with their life savings, their kid's college fund, or a collateralized home loan earlier this year, which is why I have always vehemently recommended against dropping in money that you cannot put on the line like you would in a casino. Where will we go from here? I cannot predict that with any confidence. No one can. But what I do know is that if you're long in the market, this period is where you dollar cost average and you buy and you start to think about it like these are really nice entry points. You don't have to worry about market timing when you do that. Only time will tell though. And let's be real. We have Bitcoin over 30K. We have Ether over 2K. And that's not something to scoff at. But if you're looking for a spot to ride out this bearish sentiment, and grow your Bitcoin stack while dollar cost averaging, you can join Ledin, the sponsor of Crypto Over Coffee, to get 6.1% yield on your Bitcoin. It is an easy set it and forget it way to grow your Bitcoin regardless of the market movement. And of course, you can always move to USDC stablecoins in profit taking periods as well to earn yield on stablecoin value if that is your cup of tea or coffee. Again, if you want to try it out, Ledin is available in many countries, and I'll leave my referral link down below in the description and the pinned comment for those who might be interested. Thank you in advance. Now, my friends, today is a special day because it is the day that I have a definitive, non-controversial roadmap for the rollout of the long-awaited Cardano smart contract upgrade dubbed Gogan. More specifically, the Alonzo hard fork that completes the fourth phase of the Gogan development era. We've been waiting a long time for this. This upgrade not only eliminates what is really the last big criticism that haters of Cardano can brandish online, but it enables a rich ecosystem of decentralized applications in areas like DeFi and NFTs that we'll get to see come to life in test nets for the first time in the project's existence. So here's how this rollout is going to go in a sort of color-coded 30, 60, 90-day phased approach. 
First, you have the blue phase, which will hit in June, and that will be for sort of verification of the code base, essentially. It'll be a closed testnet with a very small group of adept Cardano stake pool operators and tech partners who are going to test basic Plutus smart contracts and essentially regression test the Alonzo code to make sure everything that worked before still works and the new stuff also works. Then in the white phase, slated for mid-June to early July, you'll have an expanded closed test net where around 500 some users will be onboarded to test performance, expand contract execution tests, analysis of network economics, and test integrations with exchanges, that sort of thing. Then in the purple phase around August, the testnet will go fully public. And that will be the time when many of the pioneer decentralized applications that have sort of been in grant periods or early builds will be available on testnet for general users and live testing at scale. And this is going to be huge. So this will give a clear indication of any fixes in performance or stability, scalability that need to happen before mainnet. And finally, you'll have short red and black phases for tune-ups essentially before the end of August or early September Gogan mainnet launch, which will officially bring smart contracts to Cardano. This will be a huge one, folks. We know this. So make sure you get in on the public testnet to help test and move things along. And I'll do a full video on the public testnet when it launches to show you how to get started and, you know, really enjoy it. Now, one other Cardano news item is that my very own Cardano stake pool is going to go live in June. So make sure you're watching my channel for the announcement video and any delegation you can point my way will be super, super appreciated in advance. And I'm going to do some fun stuff to engage with delegators of the pool. So exciting times and thank you in advance. Now, moving into the world of Polygon, the famous sort of hybrid layer two and sidechain network that's been helping alleviate the pain of congestion on the Ethereum mainnet, it was called Matic before, by the way, if you're confused. Now, if what I just said is actually even more confusing, then you're not alone. What Matic actually is or what Polygon now actually is confuses me sometimes as well. So a layer two is basically defined as a scalability layer for transaction settlement that relies on the security guarantees of the main network and its consensus mechanism. A side chain is also a scalability layer as well, but instead of relying on security guarantees of the main chain exclusively, it has its own security guarantees, albeit usually less robust than the main chain. Polygon, however, is one that I get a million questions on because it doesn't really fit well into either of these molds. It's like a hybrid, like I said. What Polygon could be called is a commit chain, which you've been seeing online a little more, which has its own security guarantees by way of proof of stake in its own network, but it also relies heavily on the mainnet Ethereum network today for finality, state management, and settlement as well. So when you use a separate layer, you're always making concessions in security and finality in exchange for the speed and cost effectiveness of transactions that you get there. So just bear that in mind. Most of the time, it's totally fine. It's not going to be something you notice, but just know that there is a trade-off usually. Now, I've been getting this question a lot about what Polygon is, so I figured I would answer that here. But what's bigger that I want to mention is the expansion of Polygon that is going to change the game. Polygon has expressed intention before to expand into the world of Polkadot, and it's already begun with the recent announcement that Polygon is now a council member on the Polka Starter Incubator. Now, Polka Starter is like the venture capital incubator hub for Polkadot projects that are going to do initial decentralized exchange offerings or initial DEX offerings. And as a member of Polka Starter, Polygon, there's a lot of P's here, will we'll be able to not only help launch notable projects, but they'll be able to onboard them to Polygon's tooling early on in their life, which is critical. 
So to me, this will be massive in getting Polygon set up as the main bridge between Ethereum and Polkadot's worlds, and that is why I think Polygon has a future in the market even after Ethereum 2.0 because it's gonna need that connective tissue. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this episode of Crypto Over Coffee get some attention from the algorithm robots, please do hit like, get subscribed, follow the podcast, because it tells the robots that you're enjoying what you're watching or listening to, and others might also do the same. So thank you so much in advance. By the way, coffee today is again from Onyx Coffee Roasters, one of my favorites. Now, I have talked a lot about the absolutely laughable takes on crypto by individuals or organizations who seem to have zero knowledge of the industry or the technology whatsoever. And today might be the worst I've seen yet. And I've seen some bad ones. So the title of this opinion piece is Ban Cryptocurrency to Fight Ransomware. That's a quote. And the tagline is... This, again, a quote, the existence of Bitcoin and the rest benefits nobody except criminals and speculators. I mean, (laughs) right there, is it even worth reading this further? But anyway, the premise here is that cryptocurrency offers no real value, and it's often used in ransomware payment schemes to the tune of $350 million worth in 2020, and as such, it should be banned. Now, I will acknowledge first that the ransomware issue is a huge problem, and crypto is in fact used often as a payment method for it. That, though, is where the fact-based discourse in this article ends, in my opinion. Here's my favorite line from the piece, which is used in context to prove that cryptocurrency provides no value and should as such be banned to get rid of ransomware. I quote, I've been studying the crypto market since its inception, and I have yet to identify a single task or process that crypto makes easier, better, cheaper, or faster. Don't take my word for it. Ask any friend why he owns cryptocurrency, and the answer will invariably be, quote, to make money. Okay, end quote. I mean, right there, how arrogant and ignorant can one be to brandish their own damnation of cryptocurrency with no data points in support besides their own personal study and asking friends? That's the editorial equivalent of when your parents told you to do something as a kid, and when you asked why, they just said, because I said so. Why is cryptocurrency useless? Well, because this person doesn't see value in it in their own research. I mean, my goodness. Anyway, before cryptocurrency, what did hackers realistically use for ransomware payments? They used bank transfers, gift cards, and any digital means they could find. There are actually documented cases where cash was exchanged too, I'm pretty sure. Then cryptocurrency came along and it became an easy way to demand value in a ubiquitous and borderless fashion. Noted, valid and true. Crypto is an enablement tool for ransomware. No doubt, no argument. However, banning cryptocurrency would not solve the ransomware problem because its rise has little to do with the tools available for payment, but rather the continuous failure or inability in industry to enact cybersecurity mechanisms to prevent such occurrences. Not to mention the even bigger incentive for hackers these days than a $1 million Bitcoin payment, data, personal data. So let's analyze the actual problem at hand here. First of all, let's take a look at some data. 
According to a PurpleSec study, an organization that does cybersecurity reporting, every 14 seconds a business falls victim to ransomware and 43% of all cyber attacks target small businesses who cannot afford to prioritize cybersecurity measures. Even more concerningly, ransomware kits are available online to hackers for virtually pennies, like a hundred something dollars, and they can be deployed with little to no experience. So how are these kits being deployed? Year over year, it is increasingly by way of phishing and social engineering via social media and online communications. Let's also consider why a company might pay ransomware demands and just get it over with. It's usually for one of two reasons. First, every second a business's systems are down, they are losing money. And second, they have a huge honeypot of sensitive user data that they must keep safe at all costs. So what is the common denominator here? Hint. It's not cryptocurrency, the means of payment. It's poor cybersecurity. The trend is clear in the data that ransomware is accelerating not because of cryptocurrency, but because of an increasing inability to prevent system takeover in the first place. If hackers can't get control of a system, they cannot demand payment. It's clear. The barrier to entry for the hacker is very low. We pointed that out. While the barriers and friction for companies to protect themselves are immense. Fixing the problem requires identifying the right problem to solve. So here's an analogy that might help here. Traffic-related incidents in motor vehicles are one of the leading causes of unnatural death globally, which can be corroborated all over the place, like the CDC's Injury and Prevention and Control reports. Now, at face value, if we apply the same logic in the ransomware opinion piece, we would seek to ban the vehicle literally and figuratively, because cars and motor vehicles are killing people at high rates globally, especially in low to mid-income countries and locales. However, that has not happened. No one has banned vehicles. Why? Because banning vehicles is A, not really feasible, and B, vehicles have a lot of value against the downside. So instead, the world has focused on infrastructure to make roads safer. Companies have invested trillions in vehicle safety features to reduce fatalities and accidents. And education has been launched globally to improve driver safety and preparedness. It's almost like the real problem was being solved here rather than blanket banning. To fix the ransomware problem, investment needs to be made into cybersecurity in a big way. Every government, every country, every company, that needs to be number one on the balance sheet today. Education needs to happen way earlier on in keeping employees aware of phishing and social engineering situations, even in education in schools this needs to be taught and finally systems need to be designed to handle inevitable attacks with warm backups microservices and failover processes such that ransomware is less effective and less deadly hey why not stop collecting mass amounts of user personal data while you're at it and you'll be less attractive to hackers banning crypto would do little to solve the problem in fact hackers would do exactly what they've done for years they would adapt they would find another mechanism for payment, and the problem would recur. Additionally, where we are today in crypto is the same as the internet in the early 2000s. We're at the cusp of world-changing technological adoption. It might seem like a speculator's palace right now, and I totally understand where someone might see that. But there is value if you know where to look. From decentralized governance, to sound monetary policy, to borderless financial services, to self-sovereign identity. To say crypto has no value, to say this technology has no value, to make that vacuous argument that crypto is what drives ransomware's rise 
is a 404 logic knot found in one of epic proportions. But what I will note here is that I am a proponent of freedom of expression. I respect this person's right to express their opinion. It is an opinion piece. But because I disagree with it on premise, I have provided my evaluation under the same freedom. And to me, it's illogical. Next up is today's game of fact or FUD, where I take a piece of no good, very bad news and tell you whether it is fact or simply fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Now this week, I have to readdress the Biden administration's news around regulations for crypto that seems to be freaking everyone out. But first, a coffee break. In the budget proposal for 2022 that I mentioned earlier in the episode, there was more detail provided about reporting guidelines for cryptocurrency. And this is for brokers and financial institutions to report crypto-related activities to the IRS and Treasury, based on my initial read. Now, there are a lot of people in crypto who would have taken the totally ridiculous and ill-advised stance that taxes are illegal and unethical, and as a result, they just aren't paying them. And that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. If you are taking that stance, saying I'm not paying taxes because I don't agree with it, you must really enjoy the idea of huge fines in jail because that's the reward that you'll be subject to. You don't have to like or agree with it, but just pay your taxes so you can be there for your family, okay? Last thing you'll hear from me on that matter. I don't like it either. No one does, but I'll pay my taxes. I always have and I always will. And if you hate me for it, well, cheers to you. Drink your coffee and have a great day. For those people who have run afoul of the law with pseudonymous public networks with immutable data trails, these regulations might be scary because if you've been evading taxes for years on crypto or you're a criminal, then reporting is not good. Note the lack of wisdom in enacting criminal activity on an immutable audit trail that is public. I mean, come on. On the subject of reporting, though, this is not new. Reporting has been happening for a long time, and regulators have gotten smarter on this stuff, despite what you might have read. You're just now seeing formalized guidelines on paper, which is different, might seem more real, but it's happening already. This does not affect the average user of crypto very much, if at all. The exchanges you use that have fiat on and off ramps or custodial services will have to report certain activities to regulators, as they already have been in many cases. Again, you might not like it or agree with it, but it's going to be a reality one way or another. Should this have a catastrophic effect on the market? No. No way. Compared to what it could have been, compared to what could have been proposed, this is nothing, folks. This is nothing. This is FUD. Literally the same as last week's, just with more words on paper. And to me, this is not worth the stress right now. And I think the markets are reacting irrationally to it. Now, it's been one month since the DeFi Cornerstone project on the Icon Network, Balanced, launched to general users. And it's been a heck of a month indeed. And I've been following it very closely I am a user of Balanced. By the way, whenever I mention Icon on Crypto Over Coffee, my friends at Icon Plus and I donate to a rotating list of charities. So big thanks to them for doing this with me so we can give back. So on Balanced, you can lock up your ICX, a native coin on Icon, to borrow BNUSD, a US dollar stable coin, to earn yield on the platform to the tune of hundreds of percent in the best case. There are already tens of thousands of wallets, tens of millions of BNUSD in circulation, and 10% of the total ICX supply locked and balanced, which is super impressive for 30 days live. Now, if you want to learn how it works and how to use it, stay tuned because I have a tutorial on balanced coming soon to the channel in the next week or so. Now, folks, that is going to do it for Crypto Over Coffee. I want to thank you so much for sticking around, watching to this end of the episode if you're here still. And if you have some time to stick around, please do check out my top three VPN picks video because I lay out 
my favorite VPNs, all pretty cheap, all pretty accessible and awesome. Uh, so yeah, if you have some time to check that out and you're interested in a VPN, please do. I'll leave it linked up here. But I want to thank you again so much for watching and I wish you and your family a wonderful and restful weekend and week ahead. If you're in the US, happy Memorial Day. And until next time, cheers. <laughs>